Hey, Collabers, I'm Ben Leroy. And I'm Jason Buckles. And you are listening to Collabracast. How's it going, Jay? Not too bad. Chilly, chilly and sunny out here. That's the that's the quick report, but nowhere near as chilly, at least, as, as you are, I'm sure. Yeah, it's a little chillier, and uh, last night it started snowing, and it's still snowing. And it's not like a blizzard, but it's just this harbinger of what is to come. And I, the older I get, am not super excited about snow and winter. However, I would like to point out, time seems to be moving much faster than it was when I was younger. The fact that we're already through the middle of November, and it seems like November just started, my hope is that I'm going to be able to get through winter quickly, and that whatever troubles it brings, they will be brief. And then just slow down for summer, or you're just going to speed run the whole rest of life? <laughs> I don't know. I, I wish that there was like a functioning break of some sort, but I'm not sure that there actually is. Yeah, no, I don't I don't think so. Just, just the occasional deep breath. That's, yeah, that is the, that is the break. Want to uh, remind those of you who are doing NaNoWriMo that we're out here we're supporting you. You're halfway through it. Keep going. Keep doing your work. Keep writing. What do we have on the old docket for today, Mr. Buckholz? Today we are revisiting the ever popular topic of querying. We have talked about query letters, how to do them, how not to do them. Today, we are going to focus on when to do them. In particular, we're going to cover both fiction and nonfiction protocols and talk about getting those ducks in a row. What 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 ducks do you get in with what row? What 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 ducks? Which ducks? What order do you put them in? And um, when do you when do you shift into query mode? And this is unintentional, but this is actually very relevant to folks who are doing NaNoWriMo because I'm sure that more than one of you is sprinting through November, just throwing as many words as you can down on the page. And you, on November 30th, are going to say, that's it. I did it. I wrote a whole novel in one month. And now I want the rest of the world to see it. So I'm going to send out a query letter to the agents. And that's probably a really good strategy, right, Jason? Yeah. Agents love completely raw, unfinished piles of word in their very full inboxes. Just love it. Just <laughs> just give me a soup bowl and a right. bunch of this and I'm I'm busy all day. They, they love it as much as when you go into a restaurant and the server comes over and just dumps a bunch of raw ingredients on the table and says here you go i'm sure you can make something great out of this you got everything here you got all the all the all the all, all, everything you could possibly want to make yourself a really great lunch hey i know this chicken's only been in the oven for seven minutes but it's chewable 
Did you say it was edible? I said it was chewable. <laughs> it's food. <laughs> They're words. There are two approaches to looking at this. And first, we'll talk about when in your own process to query. And then because we are coming quickly into the holidays here, when are better times of the year to query? Um, so so querying your NaNoWriMo novel on December 1st is going to be a bad plan for that reason, too, because there are not a lot of people are looking to for a whole lot of extra work uh, come come December in this industry or really, in all fairness, in any other industry. I think everybody's just kind of like ready to hit the brakes for a while. Max capacity. Which... Absolutely. Which, if I was going to develop an alter ego for this podcast for today, I uh, will now refer to myself as Max Capacity. <laughs> Max Headroom for the Gen Xers out there. Yeah. Fellow Gen Xers. <laughs> that was a TV show at one point, which is just crazy to think about. An advertising vehicle that became a television show. Or maybe the order was reversed. I don't know. But that was a weird thing. And if you're out there and you got 15 minutes Go onto YouTube and look up when the, I believe it was in Chicago, a TV feed was hacked and some um, bootleg Max Headroom uh, was broadcast over the airwaves. And it was one of those mysteries that sort of pops up in the history of pop culture stuff. Man, that's, that's someone's claim to fame. Like, hey, remember, remember that bootleg? That was me. Yeah, and that guy right now is probably listening to our podcast. He's like, "Oh, for sure, yeah. everybody is." Max, what did I? What did I say? My name was Max Efficiency. You know, that wasn't Max. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> senior oh moments. God. Speaking <laughs> of Gen X, <laughs> Max Capacity. Max Capacity. Yes, thank you. <laughs> All right. So from from not from the writer standpoint, what? When are we, what are some things that we should think about when we ask ourselves if we're ready to send out a query letter? Well, we will start with fiction. That is okay. kind of the easier, more straightforward answer here. The time to send out a query with a novel is when you are, when you have got that manuscript in 100%, the best shape that you can possibly get it in. You have, you, you feel that there isn't anything else that you can do to improve it. You've had possibly beta readers, perhaps several, perhaps professional editors, perhaps several. Um, you have done everything in your power, everything with your available resources to make that manuscript be everything that it can be. And the reason why you need to do that is because you really only get one shot at this per, per agent, per query. <clears throat> You're not going to... <clears throat> Excuse me. A lot of people think, well, agents know a lot about books. They know a lot about storytelling. Editors, publishers know a lot about books and storytelling. They're going to see the potential here and they're going to help me workshop this into the best novel. And that's going to benefit all of us. <laughs> that just isn't true. Um, and the reason it's not true is because your agents are going to sign you on spec. They are going to you pay nothing up front. They are going to take on the projects that they feel are going to get them paid. The projects that they feel that they have the clearest 
path that they can visualize the, the clearest path to publication. They find something, it's complete. They think, I know just who, which editors are going to be into this. I can visualize this easily all the way through the book deal and the big sales. You start to introduce massive questions and massive doubt about that process when you send over something that is unfinished and you're competing against other people who have done all that work. And that that's the real problem is that I, I, if you go back and listen to our, our interview with Wendy Levinson, my, my agent, I think she talks about the amount of time that she actually spends in any given work week reading queries versus the number of queries that she actually gets and it's you have to be in the top five percent and that's a made-up number that's just a completely arbitrary completely invented number but you have to be your query your manuscript the promise of your manuscript has to be one of the absolute best things that an agent sees on that day to even go a step farther so yeah, and so it's important that you've done all the work, you have been honest with yourself, that you don't feel like you can do anything more to make this better, or that any further work on the book may end up creating problems. It's, it's not adding any value to the proposition. And you have to really be honest with that, because... As someone who still reads query letters, things that are done correctly don't draw any attention to themselves. If you're a sports fan, it's kind of like how they say you shouldn't know the referees are on the field. Like they're just doing their job. They're not standing out anyway. So things that are done correctly, and that's the query letter has uh the title, it has a genre, it has the word count, it has a summary of the story, it has a brief author bio. I can tell when someone has thought about this and put this together and done their work on it. And when I see that, I think, okay, they understand what is needed. And my assumption is that if the query letter is enticing and I request the book, and I also just kind of want to put up some huge beeping stuff here, do not query until your book is done. Don't say like, well, it's like half done. And if you want want it, I'll, I'll finish it in two weeks. Don't, don't ever do that. Just don't. That's just a no. Take your hand off the burner. The assumption is that if I get to a query letter, it's well-written. I'm going to assume that the book is going to have a certain level of competency attached to it because clearly someone has done their homework. If I get a query letter that's not directed at anybody in particular, or it says, here's a link to my file, I've got it on Dropbox, all you have to do is just click this and read it, and there's no query letter, there's no anything, I'm never going to open that. And you might be tempted to say, well, yeah, because this person didn't write a good query letter. True. But if they didn't write a good query letter, my assumption is they haven't done their research to what a good query letter is. And if they haven't done that research, then I'm going to assume they haven't done the research that's even more important about how to write a good book. And they haven't done the work to do that. So uh, you can 
make yourself stand out in all the wrong ways very fast. And because efficiencies have to be in place, there's an extrapolating from poor query letter, rushed query letter, too early for a query letter, that all of those same things hold true to the book. Absolutely. And if you if you have to be one, the one of 50 queries that gets through on any given day, the, the process of going through those is you're just looking for reasons to to put it aside. You're just, you know, you're, you're, you're a lot of age. You, you're not saying, well, I can really see this working. No, you're just saying, what's, what's the one best one in here? What is, you know, what's something that is really going to grip me that is going to keep me thinking about it through the day. And like you said, if you do those things incorrectly, you're just, you're not going to captivate someone's interest. You're not going to grab somebody. You're not going to be that query that says, that that reaches out of the stack and 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 refuses to be forgotten. The other I, thing I, that I wanted to say right there, and this is the tough love portion of the show, is that some books, no matter how much of an accomplishment it was that they were written and that they exist in some form or another. Some books are unpublishable. And when Jason was talking about knowing that you have that you're competing with other authors for the attention and the eyeballs of agents and publishers, you have to be able to look in the mirror and be like, this isn't going to win in this competition with all of these other people. The inclination might be to then say, I don't know why I write. I shouldn't write at all. This has been a worthless use of my time. It's been demoralizing. I spent all this time trying to produce something and it's not up to market standard. That can be overwhelming and that can be dispiriting. But I would invite you to reframe that and realize that you are learning about how to write and how to tell a story and that the next book that you work on should you choose to is going to be closer to being able to compete or maybe it competes maybe it's better than everything else that's in the query pile but being able to be honest about the quality of your book and the quality of your query letter goes a long way into figuring out if it's time to query. Absolutely. And I would add to that that this is a really hard thing to do. This is a, a really difficult endeavor. And it should be approached as such. You know, if you want to be a concert pianist or something you have hours and hours and hours that you're going to need to put in you're going to need to spend your time listening and studying to other musicians i i think that it's actually a really powerful moment when you do make that recognition you say this isn't good enough there's so you know this isn't this isn't what i wanted it to be that that shows that you have that recognition that you have that ability that you have that 
that ear for it to go back to the musical metaphor and that and that you know the difference. So then the question becomes, how am I going to close that difference? What are the things that I can do to to make my work better, to become a better writer? And I think that this is an important reminder. It's really important to read a lot of books, to read a lot of the things that are out there, to really know what a good book is. And I think that that is a step that that a lot of aspiring writers skip, but no successful writers skip it. You don't accidentally write a great book, not being well-versed in literature and reading yourself. You, you have to know what what the goal is, what the, where the bar is in order to get there yourself, because it's, like I said, it's hard and it's a a high bar and it is not easy to get there. So you have to have a very clear picture of the level that your writing needs to be at in order to compete on, on those levels. We talked earlier about how it's not a, it's not going to be a workshop process between you and your, you should not approach it as such. And I wanted to share the the two experiences that I've had with two different novels, just to, to provide that context, to provide that perspective for, for what has actually happened. So the, the novel that I have now placed with, with Wendy Levinson, Harvey Klinger, she read it, had some feedback for me and and the the extent of the feedback that she had for me I thought was really good it really resonated with me I thought they were good suggestions I this this is a manuscript that I had been working on for the better part of there there are ideas in it that I can trace back to 1994 there so th- this this story has been knocking around in one shape or another for the better part of a quarter century I've been we started working on it seriously after a paper sun came out. I then there were all, already big parts of it drafted, but I revisited it. So this was an, or after I completed that manuscript, which would have been a publication was in 2016. So probably middle of 2015, I went back and really seriously started to reassemble it all. But um, so this was years and years and years and years of working on this manuscript. She requested it, read it, had the, that feedback. I was able to implement the feedback that she gave me in in maybe two hours. Like that was the extent of of what she gave me. So this was it was such a tiny, you know. So to me, that says that that manuscript was ninety nine point nine nine nine. And yes, there was feedback that she gave, and it did it did I did make a couple of small changes. Of course, since then I've I've decided to retract the submission and make a whole bunch of other changes based on some other ideas that popped up in the process. But in that that particular exchange, that was a tiny bit of feedback. You know, it was, a, a, you know, not more than a couple of hours, maybe an afternoon to implement those changes, send them back to her. And she was like, yes, this is exactly what I, you know, this, I think that this works a lot better. And I, and I agreed with her. Based based on that, I just want to kind of get into a metaphor uh, because we talked about that workshopping process, the possibility of it, that it's the difference between getting a big slab of earth and knowing that there's some gold in in it somewhere um, versus 
holding on to a gold nugget that needs to be polished and just some light brushwork to get it ready for the marketplace. It's that difference. And the jeweler, in this case, the publisher, isn't in the business of mining. It's not what they do. They just get something ready to present and sell to somebody who wants it. But their job isn't to like go get pickaxes and go out and gold rush and be a prospector. Like that's it's it's not what they do. Right. They're gonna do maybe some final polishing and and you know set it up for the cameras. Yeah. But you know, it was again just a couple of hours worth of work to implement a hundred percent of the recommendations she came back with. When a paper sun was with Tyrus, when it was in in production at Tyrus. And so I got a, a lot, I got I got some great feedback from the editor there. And that was I ended up doing a another revision, but it was I, I had already completed it. I had completed it, I had queried, and it was a hundred percent complete start to finish. I did end up changing the ending a bit once it was in that process, but it wasn't the query in the first place. Wasn't here you go. I haven't really figured out the ending yet. I'm going to, you know, do this and that. So, you know, just, just take a look and then, you know, I'll figure out the ending later. No, I had it all the way done start to finish. I had the ending written. I did end up. So it went, it went to the editor there. I got the feedback Based on that, I did end up making some changes and tweaking the ending a bit. So there, there is an opportunity to do that. But you have to come with, again, to go back to the jewelry metaphor, it's like, okay, maybe well, the setting of the diamond is going to be different. So it's like, we're not going to swap out diamonds. We're not going to swap out the diamond for an amethyst or something at this point like there it's 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 here's a finished product and that doesn't mean that there wouldn't be room to make a few little changes along the way but you shouldn't count on that don't count on being able to do that later in the process you need to come with a final finished product all right so that's fiction how does nonfiction and when you're ready to query differ so nonfiction has is different. Nonfiction does not have to be written for the depending on the genre of nonfiction. So more and more recently, we are seeing trends with literary memoir, where literary memoir is being treated more like novels. So if you are not a celebrity, you know, for that the small percentage of our audience who is not not celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> exceedingly small percentage of our audience <laughs> is not celebrity if if you if you don't have the type of name recognition that is automatically going to get you a book deal if you don't have you know if you're not writing about some incredible experience that you and you alone had like your time on the international space station or something like that if you are writing a memoir and you have had some unique experiences that you want to share with the world you're going to have to write about those in a very beautiful thought provoking way in order for that memoir to be viable. If you're Steph Curry, you can write, you know, you 
whatever. The publisher is going to set you up with a ghostwriter. You're just going to tell your story. It doesn't have to be a work of literary genius. If you're just some average... The the guy selling insurance. Exactly. Um, And you had this year of traveling around Europe or beating cancer or, you know, whatever it was, we've all had exemplary things happen. We all have incredible stories to tell. That doesn't mean that the publishing world is going to see them as publishable unless you write about them in a very careful, deliberate, beautiful, thought provoking way. And something that really contributes to the, the body of literature, the way that, uh, in in the way that a novel would and as such agents and publishers are going to be evaluating those manuscripts in a very similar way that they evaluate novels so you should have that 100% ready to go complete as if it's a novel for other types of nonfiction prescriptive nonfiction say if you're going to write a how-to book let's say you are the nation's foremost expert on i don't know rodent control pest control you're the you're the the world's best exterminator and you've got massive followings on your social media and you're pumping out content and um and you want to write a book about everything you know about extermination you don't have to write that whole book yet you can write a book proposal Next week, we're going to go into a lot more detail about what a book proposal is, but generally it's a business plan for a book. There are two main aspects of it. One of them is information about the manuscript itself. The other part is information about you and the market. Maybe we can call that three different places. You're going to talk about who you are. You're going to talk about who this book is for, why people want it, um, and and make that case in a few different ways, as you would in a business plan. You're making an argument for, for why somebody should invest their time and energy in this project, why this is a worthwhile investment for somebody. And this and is, and, and that just as a thing, is a humbling part for people who see themselves as writing the first type of nonfiction that you were talking about, like the literary memoir, and then getting to the having to fill out the prescriptive market stuff, because what you run into is people who have lived an exciting and noteworthy life that is an entertaining story at a cocktail party but scaling that up to a wider audience and being able to like really get into the numbers about why this book will appeal to certain people and who those certain people are. That is a really humbling moment for some people because you've had someone in your ear saying, you should tell everyone your stories about rat termination or pest control or whatever, whatever this guy was doing. But if you're like the king of it in Carbondale, Illinois, and in your circle, everyone's like, oh, man, yeah, he's got some great stories. Maybe that doesn't have national appeal. And so, like, there's just an honesty component there in the same way that we were talking about 
honesty with the novel writing and the fiction querying of like, is there a market for this? And is this good? And we'll get more into how you make those determinations next week. But the, the short answer on when to query this kind of manuscript is when you're able to write a complete proposal, when you're able to put together a proposal that is as polished as the novels we were talking about earlier in the podcast. And the proposal calls for a couple of things in particular that are going to be hurdles for most people. And one of those is a couple of sample chapters. And that can be pretty substantive, somewhere five to 10,000 words worth, which could be two, three chapters. And those chapters have to be complete and polished and and as as close to their final form as you can possibly make them at this point, with the understanding that with proposals, they can change more so than with with novels or with a literary memoir yeah the the audition here is to show that you can write effectively and engagingly and persuasively and that you've got a book's worth of ideas and then you can present those to a publisher and in this case it it can be a little more like that workshop model an agent can say okay this is a great idea let's make sure that the final product it, it accounts for this, this, and this, and let's make sure that it falls in this certain word count range. And let's make sure that it'll appeal to this particular market segment. And the publisher will come in with the, with their own ideas about those things. The other major component of the story component of a proposal are your chapter abstracts. And those are, that's a very detailed outline of your manuscript where each each chapter is going to be thoroughly described somewhere between I've seen every anywhere from a half a page devoted to a chapter to I've seen other proposal formats where each chapter gets two to three pages where they actually start out with the beginning of the summary much as the chapter would open and then shift into into summary and so you have, in order to put that together, you have to have, you have to know your manuscript inside and out. You have to have outlined it thoroughly to the point where you can write multiple, but you, it, it's not enough to just say, well, it's going to start out. I know the first couple of chapters are going to be about this and this. And then in the middle of the book, I'm going to kind of get into this and this and this to be determined. And then the end is going to kind of wrap up in this area. You have to have a list of all those chapters and everything that's going to be in them. So you have to do a lot of planning. That part, I think for people is almost more difficult than the sample chapters. Once you have those chapter ideas thoroughly conceptualized, thoroughly planned, you can sit down and do do, the, do that writing. You can crank out a couple of chapters in a, a weekend if you can you know, put your head down and have some quiet time. But that process of of creating an outline that is full of information, that's entertaining, that is different than what other things are that are already out there, but that can also appeal to to proven audiences for for titles that are in the same area is a difficult task. 
Mm-hmm. And one that takes, and, and you can't do it in a silo. You have to know what else is going on out there. You have to know what, who else is writing things like this? Um, who else is writing things that are a, a little blanking on, on the right word, but, you know, similar, but, but for maybe a slightly different market segment. Yeah. And it's, titles. it's great to be able to point out like, a successful book that you can use as a comp title and be fluent enough in the existing marketplace for that type of book and familiar enough with the competition that you can say, my book is like book A, except I address these other issues that book A doesn't. Or we talk about the same issues here, but I also talk about this. And that shows an agent or a publisher there's clearly an existing market for books about this subject. This is this subject plus whatever the author who has got a proposal on their desk is pitching. And then, you know, your job is to figure out how to also sell them on that. So reading widely and being fluent in the market of what already exists is a very important part of this. So to wrap up, if you're a novelist or if you're writing a literary memoir, just focus on that manuscript. Don't even think about querying. Don't think about agents. Don't think about any of that until that manuscript is a hundred percent and, and read also, also read. And, and you can start to learn about which, you know, you can start to do your research. You can start to, to educate yourself about who represents what, which agents are looking for which sorts of things. If there are titles that you really aspire to be realistically that are really good comp titles, you can figure out who represents those. But the majority of your focus needs to be on that manuscript, on getting that manuscript complete and in in as good a shape as you can. If you're writing prescriptive nonfiction, then it really, you're, effort should go into your planning, into your outlining and your planning and your market research. And and you need to think of yourself more of more as an entrepreneur, really, at that point. And and doing that competitive research, researching the market, um, figuring out how to build your platform, which is a very important part of nonfiction contracts um, or your chances of getting them. And, um, yeah, there, the couple of sample chapters will go in there, but then, but, but doing all of that other work up front is going to result in a quality proposal. And then at that point that moves through, let's say an agent picks up your proposal and you are going to be, if you're able to sell, if you're able to, to sell that proposal, if you're able to get a contract, then you are going to have feedback you're going to have your agent you're going to have an you're going to have your editor at the publishing house giving you guidance giving you feedback perhaps even giving you a nice fat advance that you can use to bring in professional help on that manuscript to hire editors to really research go somewhere to do research etc exactly so we will next week go into the ins and outs of of proposals in more detail. There are several different sections. They are for many people who are writers, who are storytellers. They can be 
they can feel pretty foreign. You're going in and doing market research and you're looking at numbers and you're looking at, at, you know, doing, figuring out these sorts of things that are really feel that they're tangential to writing and they are tangential to writing, but they are central to the business of writing. Yeah. They're central to publishing. All right. Well, do you have anything else for this episode? That'll do it. All right. For story. For community. Collaborate. I'm Max Capacity.